All right. Let's, uh, let's pray and uh, ask God's blessing on this time. Uh, what, a, what a great, great opportunity. I'm just excited about preaching his word. And, and, and usually every Sunday I am, but I just want to thank you guys who have been praying, uh, faithfully praying. I want to tell you what, I have felt your prayers in, in the sense of the excitement of preaching the word, the encouragement uh, that, I, that I'm seeing in our body of Christ, and I, I thank you so much for being faithful in that. Uh, we had, uh, last week, I think we had, you know, uh, Steve had about half of his tribe here. I think they're all gone back home on the weekend, and, uh, and I'm thankful that we've got several of our folks back, too, that, uh, you know, getting over the corona, and uh, I think we're about past that almost completely now with, the, with the, all of our folks here. But let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we uh, come before you, and just as we have sung, that you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are righteous. You are good. You are just. You are merciful. And your long-suffering is so appreciated. But we also know, Lord, that there is a time that you are going to bring wrath. And Father, we are to be those people who would stand on the tower and cry out to those around us to be the watchman and to say the wrath is coming. We pray this morning as we preach through the word, as we have sung, as we give everything that we do, we pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would be preeminent and that you would be glorified because that is our desire today, that you would be high and lifted up. I pray, God, that our problems would shrink in your very presence this morning. I pray, God, that our hearts would be open, even declaring what your psalmist said, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning to sweep through this place, fill us in order that we might understand what your holy word says. And we pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may have noticed again, before I get into the sermon, that one of the prayers that came out of our nation, you remember a few weeks back, one of the prayers that came out of our nation saying that we, this guy, he says, he prayed in the, uh, the mono, mono um, not mono, um, yeah, monotheistic God Brahmin. Uh, it's, it's a problem, folks, when we have people praying in our capital, praying to gods that are in reality demons. And then this week we, we close with a prayer in our, uh, I think in the inauguration, no, not the inauguration, but one of our other sessions, and that said that they pray in the collective name. We've moved to a point of polytheism in our society. And all the more important that we as God's people really understand what's going on around us. The Bible says that we're to walk circumspectly. In other words, we are to walk understanding our surroundings. Uh, we Listen, and I want to encourage you this morning, no matter how you feel on either side of the aisle, is that the world is not our enemy. It is our mission field. Amen? That's what we're to be out there doing. So uh, let me get into our, our message this morning. Uh, and uh, just um, you can turn to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10 is where we're uh, coming at for you guys that are visiting with us. We've been here about a year. Uh, when we finish up in, in February, I think we'll finish in February, God willing, uh, that will make about a year that we have been in this book. And it has been a rich, rich understanding. You know, Revelation says this, that whoever hears and does these words, it says it's a blessing. And I'm going to tell you what, we have been blessed uh, to see what is ahead for us. Well, I just want to say this morning that I don't think there has ever been a time in my life where I have looked more forward to the day of Christ's return. Now, you know, that's some, some of us, I mean, that, that was almost baptistic. Amen. Well, we're going to say amen, but we're really not excited. But we should be excited. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we should long for his appearing. And, and I'm not talking this morning about the rapture of the church. I'm excited about that. I hope, I, I mean, at the end of every day, it's like I'm a little disappointed that the Lord didn't call his church home. One of these days that's going to happen, and I personally believe that that's going to be very soon. But what I'm talking about this morning, I am looking forward to the day that the Lord Jesus Christ 
comes from heaven, steps on this earth, reestablishes reign for 1,000 years is what the Bible says. I'm looking forward to that day because finally we will see justice. Finally we will see equity. Finally we will see prosperity. Finally we will see peace. All of those things is what is going to happen when Jesus returns to this earth. And to me, I'm looking forward to that. But more importantly, why I look forward to that is that because everyone will recognize him for who he is and they will glorify his name. You see, he will finally receive the glory that he deserves. Well, I told you that our text is Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10, and our title is, Thy Kingdom Come. And in these verses, John really gives us a description as what is going to happen when Christ returns to the earth. Now, you remember up to this point, we had discovered over the last couple of weeks that, that Christ in his return is, is going to do things almost instantaneously when it comes to the destruction of those who hate him. And, and we'll cover a little bit more of that as we go along. But there is going to be coming a time that I think, you know, that is near. Uh, it's at least seven years away, but it is near that the Lord will return and he will establish that 1,000-year reign known as the millennium. All right? And some of you may be familiar with that and some of you may not be familiar with that. But there are three views concerning the millennium. There's uh, the, those who have a, a pre-millennialism view, there are those who have a post-millennial view, and then there is finally what is called an amillennial view, which is that ah means no, so that there is no millennial at all. And, and let me just briefly describe the, uh, a few of those to you because it's important that we understand that in order to grab the context and the truth and the literal uh, position that the Bible takes here on that thousand years. So when we look at that, uh, the premillennial view, it is that Christ is going to return at the end of the tribulation. Now the tribulation is, we know, the seven-year time frame that is going to be marked by, initially by a time of peace that the Antichrist ushers in, but it will not last long at all. Uh, and, and then we just steadily progress in the terrible things that are going to happen because it is a time, listen to me, when the tribulation kicks off, it is a time of God's wrath. Now, when you sit here this morning, you say, wait a minute, man, you're talking about God's wrath? Well, if you're part of the church, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, can I give you some good news this morning that you are not appointed unto wrath? So you don't have to worry about that tribulation period because if we understand what the Bible says, it says that the church, now I'm not just talking about any church, I'm talking about the church that is following Jesus Christ, those who have given their hearts and the evidence of them giving their hearts to Christ is that they live for him. That group of people, the Bible says, will be raptured out. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is going to be the harpuzo. It is the catching up. It is the snatching away. And he is going to meet us in the clouds. That is not necessarily what in, uh, ushers us into that seven-year uh, tribulation. The seven-year tribulation is ushered in by the Antichrist making a peace agreement with Israel. That is what starts that seven-year time frame. Once that seven-year time frame happens, we know that three and a half years into it that he exposes himself for who he is, and he performs the abomination of desolation by going into the temple and declaring himself to be God. And then Israel knows this is not the Messiah. And we've covered that in detail, but I just wanted to let you know. So at the end of that seven-year time frame, the premillennial view is this, is that Christ comes back to the earth, he destroys his enemies, and he establishes a time of peace where he rules literally out of Jerusalem for 1,000 years on the earth. Everybody tracking? You going to give me a north-south? Yep, I've got it. So then we, we go to this. Then there is the post-millennial view. 
The postmillennial view believes that the church will usher in the return of Christ. In other words, there are those who believe this was very, very popular back before World War I. There were a lot of people who says, listen, we are going to win enough people to Jesus Christ that we're just going to usher in, we're, we're going to win more and more people, and they will end up uh, ushering in Christ to reign. So they believe that there will be this thousand-year time frame that the church, and they don't necessarily believe it literally, they, they see it symbolically, they say that the church will do such a good job of winning people to Christ, and there will be peace and prosperity on the earth, and when all of that is accomplished, then Jesus will return. Look around. Yeah. We're not doing a very good job at that, are we? As a matter of fact, it, it just doesn't match with what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that the days are going to grow more wicked and evil. It's not going to get better. And by the way, when people say that, that it is true that the Bible says that when the gospel is, to preach, is preached to all of mankind, then Christ will return. Well, we've covered that, right? Because the 144,000 evangelists, the Jews who go out, the, the thousands upon thousands of Gentiles who become followers of Christ preaching the word, the two witnesses during the tribulation period who preach the word, even to the point where the Bible says that there are angels that, that are circling the globe preaching the gospel so that every single man, woman, and child hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, and when that happens, that's when I'm coming back. And it's not talking about the rapture, it's talking about his literal, physical return on the earth. So the post-millennial thinks, okay, we're just going to do such a good job of evangelizing and, and discipling that we'll, we'll just have this perfect place for the Lord to come back to. Well, again, it doesn't seem like that's happening. Since that view really became popular, we had World War I, World War II, and we have had a succession of wars after that that have been devastating. It doesn't seem like peace and prosperity are here, does it? Well, let's move on to the amillennial, and then we'll get down to the meat of the subject. The amillennial believe this. They believe that there is no literal 1,000 years. They believe that the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ's rule are actually being performed from heaven, and that the saints are involved in that in heaven, and that the church is involved in that rule right now. And again, it, if that's the case, it just doesn't seem like we're doing very good at it, does it? Well, let's move on. In this morning's message, we want to kind of take a look and see what we have in our scriptures in verses 1 through 10. Here are your main points. We want to talk about the binding of Satan. This is what's going to happen when Christ comes back. There will be the binding of Satan. There will be the resurrection and reign of the saints. There will be the revival of deception, and finally, the damnation of Satan. So you have the binding of Satan to kick things off. You have the resurrection and reign of the saints. You have a revival of deception, and finally, the damnation of Satan. Let me just read the scriptures, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll go back and unpack uh, what God has in his word for us this morning. And he says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a season." And I saw the thrones that, uh, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had he received his mark upon their foreheads, or, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years." But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And the second, on such the second, hath no, second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed uh, out of his prison and shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. 
the number of whom is uh, as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire of brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. Well, that's a mouthful. And there is some heavy, heavy stuff there, but it is good news because it focuses on what Christ is going to accomplish. So let's look at the first in verses 1 through 3, the binding of Satan. We saw in reading those first three verses that there is an angel who comes down and he binds Satan, has a key, opens the bottomless pit, and throws him into the bottomless pit after he is chained. So when we look at this, after Christ has destroyed, he has slain uh, the armies at Armageddon. Remember that? There's going to be a time that all these armies are coming, and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes down, he is going to wipe those armies out. It is going to be brutal. You remember, as he said, the, the visual pictures that we saw of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said that he walked, or he came down on a horse, and his robe was dipped in the blood. It, it, it was, his vesture was covered in blood and it, it is a picture he says i'm going to tread my enemies down like a wine press listen he is going to literally physically destroy the armies that come against him and his people isn't it amazing too as we look back at that scripture that they said they were going to come to fight against him isn't the arrogance of man amazing that he says i'm going to fight and somehow think that they're going to win against god you see, we also need to understand that, that God, we talked about this, God is a God of love. God is not a God of anger, but God is provoked to anger. And when he is provoked to anger, his patience will eventually wear out. And when he acts, he acts without any, uh, any perverted judgment. When he brings judgment, it is pure and it is right. So when he destroys he is right in what he does. And he comes here and he says that he destroys those armies. And then he says he destroys the remnant. You will remember this from last, the last lesson we had. He destroys the remnant. Who are the remnant? The remnant are those who are on the earth who have rebelled against him, who have received the mark of the beast, and still stand in rebellion against him, who did not come as the army. And he says that is Matthew chapter 25, the separating of the sheep and the goats where he judges the nations. He's not judging the nations by nation. He's bringing every nation and he says you are either in one of two categories. You're either sheep, in other words, you are followers of me, or you are goats and you are not followers of me. And he says he separates the two. He takes all of those when he comes back, those destroyed in the army, those uh, judged in the nations. And if they're not followers of Jesus Christ, he says he immediately cast them into the lake of fire. Wow. That's, that's heavy, folks. But he says all the rest, he says, enter into a thousand-year time to where he will rule on the earth. Everybody going into the millennial will be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, so with that in mind, here's what happens. We find that there is an angel who comes down. Here's what I want to get you out of this, about this angel. It is a position of authority, right? We look at this, and it's a position of authority. One of the things that we need to, to see is it we see that an angel is dispatched by the king of kings to bind up Satan and cast him into the pit. Remember that Satan at one point, remember his name, that it, what it used to be before the fall? His name was Lucifer, which meant light bearer. He was the highest cherub that was created. He had immense power, but he rebelled against God, and God kicked him out of heaven, and he has been roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He has been traveling back to heaven, making accusations against the brethren. But at this point, God says he sends one angel with one key, with one chain, and he cast him into the bottomless pit. Now, when I look at that, I'm very encouraged by that. We don't know who the angel is. It could have been Michael. Don't know. Uh, Michael had done battle with Lucifer or Satan in the past. But we do know this, that it only takes the word of God to accomplish his plan. You grab that? 
I want, the, I want the, the, the depth of that to sink into your heart as a Christian this morning. We don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. We don't need to be panicking. Listen, God, by his infinite word, when he says, I want you to go and cast him into the pit, it was done immediately. That's a, that's a, great, that's a great understanding. You see, we, we look at that and say and there, there are people who have this misunderstanding of thinking that it is this good and evil and that it's just constantly God is struggling with Satan. God is not struggling with Satan. God is in charge. He is sovereign over every aspect of humanity and over every aspect of what is going on right now. Listen, whoever was in office, whether it was Trump, Trump was put there for a reason. I believe that Trump was put there to put things in place so that uh, the, uh, the peace of Israel will, would be there. We moved uh, to the uh, headquarters to, to Jerusalem. Uh, he made, made the way that's going to make a whole lot easier when the Antichrist comes on the scene. You see, God had a plan. He used that man for a while. And I'm going to tell you what, Biden, he is going to use as well. And what may be intended for evil, he will use it for good. Well, it's an issue of authority. Can I just tell you this morning that we as God's people really ought to take God at his word on that? It's an issue of authority. You know, one of the things that I don't worry about is where I'm going to spend eternity. Because it's an issue of authority. It's an issue that God has already declared me righteous, not because of anything I've ever done, but he's declared me righteous because of what Christ has done. And so I don't worry about where I'm going to spend eternity. I look forward. I, I've said it. I look forward to going to heaven. I really do. And I look forward to it more today than I did yesterday, believe me. When we, when we, when we walk in and you have a president that signs an order reestablishing the murder of babies... Folks, I'm telling you, God has abandoned America. Now the question is for us and you young couples back there is how we're going to handle that. You see, God is not, as I heard Bill Salas say, God is not setting up in heaven with an American flag wrapped around his shoulders cheering for us. God is God. And he controls every nation what we need to do is to be a light and salt in a perverse and wicked generation amen. by his authority amen that's what we need to do all right second thing about this as we look at verses one through three satan is bound for a specific amount of time for one thousand years he is locked away unable to deceive the nations. It really stands in stark contrast to that post and amillennial view because if that is true, if we are to take literally that Satan is going to be bound, chained, and locked into a pit and that he can no longer deceive the nations, folks, I'm going to tell you what, nations are being deceived today. So we can't be in that time frame. As a matter of fact, Satan is having a heyday right now in deception. And, and we are, you understand, we are moving to this one world government, this one world religion that Revelation speaks of. That is why you get up and you have people praying in the collective name of, of God. Listen, there's no collective name of God. There is one God. There is one God in three persons. It's not a collective gathering, but that is where we're moving to. By the way, can I just tell you this morning, I read this morning that there was a church, and, and I'm, I'm assuming by the name of the church, it was, it was somewhere in California, or the name of the town is somewhere in California, but it was a Baptist church who had been speaking the truth. Now, I don't know how they had been speaking the truth. I don't know if they'd been speaking the truth in love, but they had been speaking the truth about the LGBTQA plus movement. And guess what happened to their church? A bomb was put in it and blew it, blew it out. That is where we're headed but I don't want you to be frightened. I don't want you to be upset over those things. It is time for God's people to understand we stand in the hand of God. Yeah. And we are, we are here for a specific purpose, a specific time, and a specific reason. You just weren't born with, just, with not knowing, you know, God not knowing how he was going to use you as a follower of Christ. 
And when we look at this 1,000 years that Satan is locked away, can you imagine? Folks, just, just put on your imagination hat for a moment and think, think what it will be like when there is no adversary deceiving people, when he is not whispering in the ear of people saying, did God really say? When he's not saying, listen, abortion is simply a way of... Uh, uh, what do you want? Uh, you know, take, taking care of sexual, uh, you know, reproduction. When he's out there saying that, you know, that it's not about one man and one woman being together in a monogamous relationship. You see, that is all going to be done away with because Satan and his demonic army will be cast into the bottomless pit for one thousand years. Listen, I'm I'm 65 years old, and it's been a long time. Can you imagine a thousand years? I mean, that's going to be an amazing thing because people are going to go back to living for a prolonged period of time. And by the way, can I just say, if you don't know where you're at on the book of Genesis, can you please dig into it and believe it, especially the first six chapters? That it's literal, it's true, because Satan has done a great job with churches of saying, no, nah, that's not really true. And that's why we have churches today that are not preaching the truth. That is why we have young people today that are not following Christ because the gospel has been gutted. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing, amazing thought, a thousand years that he's locked away. It's, it's going to be a period of truth. During that thousand years that Satan is bound and in the pit, that it will be a time that truth is spoken, taught, lived, and listen, enforced. A lot of Christians look at me like a calf looking at a gate for the first time when I tell them that it means that when Jesus says that he will rule with an iron scepter, it means that he will not tolerate rebellion in any shape, form, or fashion. And we say, well, wait a minute, that, I thought we were going to have a perfect time of peace. That's exactly right, because he says he will rule with that iron scepter. Yeah. I'll explain more on that in a little bit. People are going to live long, long time. That's why when we read out of the Old Testament and we, we read about the kingdom, we see, you know, joy of, of children playing in the street says that people will live for a long time. You know, we're going to go back, you know, when, when if you died at 100 years old, something was wrong, right? You had people living three, four, 500 years. Now, can you imagine, and I'm looking at these young families, and I saw all those little babies back there, and, and, can, and, and thank you for being prolific, that, that one of the great things about that time frame is there are going to be, it's going to be an explosion of children because you're going to have generation, generation, generation. I'm a, I'm a granddad, you know, uh, and, and that's great, and Lord willing that I live long enough, perhaps I'll live long enough to be a great granddad. I doubt that I'll live long enough to be a great, great granddad, but the fact is during the millennial, that will be a small thing. So there's going to be people, young people being born, families, you know, men and women marrying, having children, their children having children, their children. You, you see what I'm saying? So you've got a lot of people on the earth during that thousand years, and they are learning truth the whole time. They are being taught truth the whole time. It's going to be an environment of peace. And we know from our previous study that even the geographical shape of the earth, as far as the mountains, they're done away with. It is going to be a time where there, there is great prosperity because uh, no one's going to be hungry. No one's going to be fighting. There's not going to be any wars. There's not going to be famine. It'll be a wonderful time for mankind. And yet... We'll find out here in a little bit that man still in his heart has in his heart rebellion. Let's talk about the resurrection of the saints. The resurrection and reign of the saints. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me again. And it says, and I, and I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Mark that. And judgment was given unto them. And, uh, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus Christ or the word of God and uh, which uh, had not worshipped the beast, neither the image 
uh, of the beast on their foreheads. And, and we'll just cover the rest of that. I just want to get across, though, when we look at this thing, there's going to be a resurrection, and there's going to be those who are involved in reigning or ruling with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the amazing promises that the Lord gives throughout Scripture that he has given to his people is the fact that you and I are going to be involved in ruling with him. That's what it, it's what it means. Exactly what it says. Now, I don't know about that. JP, you may come back here and you may be the mayor of Jacksonville. I don't know. But God has a plan for you and that you'll be involved in reigning with him during that thousand years. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I don't know how that works. I think it depends on uh, you know, what, what he gave us here and how we responded to those things. But let's talk about those who are resurrected. We find that there are several groups that will experience a resurrection in order that they might rule with Christ for a thousand years. And the first group of saints that we're going to talk about that rule with Christ is found in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27. And there is a picture to where the resurrected Old Testament saints are told and promised that they're going to rule and reign with Christ during that thousand year time frame. That's really not that hard for us to understand, is it? Isn't that what Job, Job said in, in chapter 19 and verse 26. He says, let me just read the exact quote here out of the Bible. Uh, it says, And though my, after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. You see, Job understood that even when he died, he says, even after my flesh has gone back to the earth as dust, he says, I know that in my flesh... I will see God. What's he talking about there? Folks, he's talking about the resurrection. We understand as God's people that, yeah, when we die, we go into the grave and this body decays. But the promise is, God says, first of all, the promise is this. The moment you quit breathing as a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our spirit, our soul immediately are in his presence. And I believe that we have some type of spiritual body in limbo waiting for the resurrection. And when the resurrection happens, he says that we have an entirely new body that he gives us. And it's one that is able to, a lot like his, that was able to walk right through a wall, yet he was able to eat. Isn't that an amazing thought? You know, people think Christianity is boring. Good night, man. The best is yet to come. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I, was, I, was li I was just lifting a box yesterday like I was a young guy, and I suffered the rest of the day. It, I mean, my neck hurt all night long. I'm looking for the day when, when that is gone. And he says, listen, you're going you're gonna to have a resurrected body. And I think there will be good-looking bodies. And they'll be without disease, and they'll be without heartache, and they'll be without mental anguish. Because all of that is going to be made perfect. So there are the Old Testament saints who are going to be involved in this, this resurrection and ruling. The apostles were told that they're going to sit on 12 thrones reigning with Christ. He made that promise to them out of Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. So there are going to be the apostles we know who are going to be resurrected and who are going to reign with him as well. The New Testament saints are told that they're going to rule with the Lord. He says this, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, he says, Do you not know you will judge the world? Folks, if, if you're a believer here this morning, you just need to understand and rejoice in the fact that at some point on, when this 1,000-year when this time frame comes as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just not going to be haplessly walking around. You are going to have a job to do on this earth, and, and that job is to rule and reign with Christ. Uh, to me, that's it's an amazing thought. And people say, well, I don't want to rule and reign. Yeah, you will, because whatever Christ assigns you to do, it will be your good pleasure to do it. Amen? Uh, it's going to be a good time. It'll be great. You know, the problem is, with a lot of God's people, they resist what God wants them to do because they're afraid that it might interfere with what they want to do. But I'm telling you, when we get to that perfected stage in heaven, when we return back with Him in glorified bodies, it is going to be nothing but pleasure to serve Him. And I'll just tell you right now, too, that if you surrender yourself to say, God, I want to follow you. 
I want to follow you, and you will, then you will find that everything you were afraid of doing was really a lie from the enemy. You see, he's calling you to falling wholeheartedly. He's not going to make something hard on you because you follow him. As a matter of fact, he says, take my yoke on, uh, you take my yoke on because it's easy. It fits good. All right. So we have the apostles, we have the New Testament saints, and finally we have the tribulation saints. Again, in back uh, verse 4, he says that he sees these thrones. This is John speaking. He says, I see these thrones, and on them was judgment given to them. So we're covering down who we saw, the judgment that was given to uh, those, the Old Testament saints, the apostles, the New Testament saints, and finally the tribulation saints. Who are the tribulation saints? The tribulation saints are those, according to the scripture here, that give their lives for the cause of Christ. You know, we, are, we, are, we have been, I will say this, we have been so protected in America to escape persecution. I think I mentioned to you last week that in Nigeria, every single day, 10 Christians are slaughtered for their faith. Every single day. Over 3,000 a year. And that's what we know of. Just in Nigeria. Because they refused to deny Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that they receive a better resurrection. I don't know exactly what that means, but it must be a better resurrection because the Lord said so. But what I'm trying to get across here is that here are these saints who have paid. They have, they have, they have diligently followed after Christ, and he says, I haven't, I haven't forgotten that. I will raise you up, you will receive a reward, and you will reign with me. That's, that's good news, folks, yeah. especially when we see ourselves where we are today in America. And again, I want you to be prepared. I'm not going to be some false prophet, and I am no prophet. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I don't want to get up here and give you what false prophets would do and say, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what's happening and how it plays into Scripture. I'm not going to get up here and say that everything is going to be okay. I don't know what this next year holds. I never thought that things would unravel as quickly as they have. But we better get seated in the Word of God. We better be prepared for the things that are coming. And the way we prepare for things that are coming is to say, and to be on your face and on your knees, and to be crying out to God and say, God, no matter what, may I honor you in whatever comes. You see, trusting God is to say, whatever you decide to let in my life, I'm good with. Just give me the strength. Give me the courage. Give me the peace to walk in that. Right? Well, what do these resurrected saints do? Well, we already covered that they sit on thrones. The thrones symbolize a judicial and regal authority. You and I, we are given judgment of those who are on the earth. Now remember, everybody that goes into the tribulation, that lives through that time, that are followers of Christ, every single human will be a follower of Christ going into the tribulation. You got it? Tracking with me? But guess what? They're still human. They still have that human nature, and they're still going to have to deal with that sinful nature that they have, even though they're redeemed. Everybody take a look to your left and right. You're looking at somebody who struggles with sin. Right? I do. I got rebuked this week, and I'm grateful for it. And, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you that your pastor is not above any of you. Your pastor's just like you. And, and I'm grateful for it because it, it put me, God, God used that to put me back in my place and saying, don't be a hypocrite. More to follow Wednesday. 
Well, we will be ruling on earth with the Lord during that time frame, and we know that over that time frame, that thousand-year frame, you've got just a multitude of people that are born, going on, and here's what the glorified saints are going to do. They're going to enforce the will of God. They're going to settle disputes. Isn't that an amazing thought? We're, we're going to be involved in that. You see, because you're still, they still, the folks will still have that old nature. People are still going to disagree with each other. My understanding is in that reigning is that you and I are involved in saying, hey, here's what God says concerning that. Here, here is the will of God concerning that. You say, well, I didn't think I'd ever be a teacher. Well, get ready. You will be a living example, and you will have the mind of Christ in doing so. Isn't that great? I mean, that's just a, I mean, that's what God is preparing for you to be involved in that economy. Well, we, we end up in this with where it says in verse 6, it is blessed to be part of the first resurrection. Why? Well, let me explain what the first resurrection is. The first resurrection is, encompasses the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and the tribulation saints. That's the first resurrection. The second, res re second resurrection we'll deal with next week when the wicked are raised up and their bodies will be joined with their spirit and soul where they have been in hell and then they will be cast into the lake of fire. And that's why the Lord says here, it is better, you are more blessed to be part of the first resurrection, because death, the second death, you have no part in. Can I tell you something, folks? There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. Once you breathe your last, you fall into one of two categories. You will be with the eternal felicity of the Lord, or you will be in eternal judgment. And just as he raises the bodies of the righteous and gives them a new body, so too will he give a body to the wicked that will suffer for eternity and be tormented for eternity. And you say, Pastor, I don't like that idea. Well, you have to argue with God's word because that's exactly what God's word says. The problem is in churches today, we have quit saying that. We tell people, oh, come to Jesus. He will give you a great family. Oh, come to Jesus. He will give you a great marriage. Oh, come to Jesus. You will get the job you want. Oh, come to Jesus and you won't have problems. Listen, the reason you come to Jesus according to the word of God is to be saved from the wrath to come. Now, either God is right in this or man is. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to go with God. And, and, and here's the, I've told you guys for three years, I don't worry about what you think about what I preach. I worry about what God thinks what I preach. Because man is fickle. God is unchanging. Right? Now, occasionally, I do have to get rebuked. And if you need to rebuke me about something, come and tell me. I'll try and take it like a man. I may whimper like a girl, but I'll try to be, you know, godly about it. But be ready to be counter-rebuked. All right, let's talk about the revival. And we're just going to say the revival of deception and the damnation of Satan. We're just going to combine those two because I want to get you, out of, you guys out of here. The revival of deception. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed from the pit. You know, and, and I've often contemplated, why, why is God going to do that? I, I mean, we're, we're trekking along, you know, there's peace, there's no war, there's plenty of food, there's no famine, disputes are settled, the will of God is enforced, and yet the Lord says that he is going to release Satan from that pit 
And the Bible says, and here's the reason he does it, so that Satan can go to the nations and deceive them. You see, you remember back when I said that everybody that goes into the millennial, all of them start out as followers of Christ. But over a period of time, with generation after generation after generation, there are going to be those who play act that they follow Christ, but in their heart, they hate him. We don't like your rule, King Jesus. Oh, we'll go along with it because we know we have to. But if you give us an out, we're out. I don't like the idea of anybody telling me how I'm going to live my life. I don't like the idea that I have to bow a knee and confess that you are Lord. I don't like that. You see, because here's the issue. The issue is always the heart, not the outward action. And there will be those during that thousand-year time frame who will not listen to the teaching, who will not listen to truth, and they don't need Satan to tell them that. You see, we try to blame everything on Satan. Our own sinful nature is enough. And at the end of that time, Satan is loosed, and he goes out and he gathers an army of people who want to rebel against God. As a matter of fact, he says the army is so big that it's like the sand on a seashore. In other words, it would be hard to number them. And they rebel against God. And God says that he immediately, immediately destroys them with fire from heaven. Now they will be gathered together and come against the, the city of Jerusalem. And, and he says, you guys obviously didn't pay attention to history when I did this once before. But here we go again. But here's the good news, saints. At the end of it, at the end of that, Satan is snatched up. And he's not thrown into a pit. He is thrown into the eternal lake of fire. And that's where he will remain for eternity. It, it's amazing to me that he doesn't come out with a repentant heart out of that pit. A thousand years would give somebody a long time to think. And that's why I believe, and, and uh, there's a great book written by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce and it is about how that man has divorced himself from God and that those in hell don't want to change. They don't want to follow God because that's their heart. It always has been and always will be. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you leave here, even here in a moment, just when we sing, you ought to say, God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for saving me. Well, some trust, others don't. Satan deceives them. Christ destroys them, sends them into hell only to be resurrected, to stand in judgment at the great white throne judgment, which is what we'll cover next week. And we'll see the difference between the follower of Jesus Christ and how he is judged and the follower, really, of Satan and how they are judged. By the way, Satan's not pulled up. He stays in hell where the Antichrist and the beast were thrown alive into the lake of fire. You say, man, that's some far-fetched stuff, Jim. Do we serve a supernatural God or not? Amen. Right? This, isn't, this, this is not norm. This is supernatural. This is not just a good way of living. This is taking a living God that is, is done supernatural things, the greatest thing of being raised from the dead and securing us salvation. Yeah. So, where are we at? We're in a place in history that I've never lived, but I just want to encourage you folks that God has this all under control. I don't know what next week's going to bring. I have no idea. But I do know this, is that our God is the one who will control next week. Yeah. Trust the plan. <laughs> the best is yet to come. And, and you know, that, that may be difficult in days ahead, but here's where it's going to be important. A community of believers 
standing firm with one another, encouraging each other, reaching a lost world, and worshiping a living God. One of the things that, that I'm convinced of, I think that David Platt had said, I don't agree with some of the things he's gone with lately, but I will say this, that one of the things that he said is that all that we need is the Word of God and the Spirit of God to worship God. The Word, the Spirit, to worship. Amen? That's good. That's good. All right, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray. You guys come on up. Hey, we, uh, we here, if you, know, if you want to come and pray, we encourage you to come pray. If you want to talk to somebody about Christ, we encourage you to you know, find me. Uh, I can point you to other folks. But if you want to come pray, feel, feel free. But we don't do necessarily an altar call, altar call. Uh, sometimes we will. But I, I firmly believe this, that every single person that is here today, you will make a decision on what you're going to do with what you heard today. You make the decision in your pew. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with what I heard? And it may be that you need to become a follower of Christ. Hey, come and see me. I'll sit down with the Bible and tell you what, what the Bible says you must do. And uh, you, may, you may need to be baptized. Love to do that. Come see me. You just may need somebody to counsel with you. We'll set you up with people. But I want you to know this. God loves you. I love you. This church loves you. And uh, grateful for everybody that is here today. I'm terrible about this, guys. Multiple closings. It must be something you learn in seminary. That I am convinced of this, that everybody that needed to hear this message, that everybody that needed to hear it was here today. And I trust God of that. It's kind of like we had, I don't know, 14 college kids here last week, and we talked about the sanctity of life. They needed to hear that message. And I was happy that they were here. And, and just been praying for them all week. God, let that settle in their hearts, your eternal word. Father, we thank you for this day. We're grateful. We thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that one day, Lord, we will return with you as you, our supreme leader, rides out on a white horse, conquering this world, taking back what is yours. And that at the end of that thousand years, oh God, you will create a new heaven and a new earth. And we, at 1,000 years, will just barely have begun to know what it is to worship you in total spirit and truth. We give you praise this morning in Christ's name. Amen.